Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So he's like skeptical. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him. He's all adjusting his goat skins. He's like, okay, hope this works. And he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. Again, like this dude was hairy. I would think like maybe, you know, like some pig, pig skin where it's kind of fuzzy, hairy. Like that's a hairy, that'd be a hairy guy. He's hairy like a pig. He's kind of hairy. But this dude is hairy like a goat. Like you can't even see the skin. You can't even, it's like a thick shag carpet. that's like brawn and, you know, that's, that's Esau. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Now, this is merely conjecture. I'm going to preface that, okay? But another possible explanation for all of this and for this moment here could be that Isaac was beginning to lose his mental faculties. He's around 135 years old at this point in time. Okay, so he is old. He does live another 50 years, but he's hit a rough patch where he's like, I think I'm going to die soon. Like he is not doing well in health. And it could be that he's slipping a bit mentally. In fact, I came across a Jewish commentary on this. Uh, And this commentator suggested that Isaac may have had dementia and that Rebecca in this scenario was doing her best to act as a respectful guardian of her impaired husband. It's just speculation, but it could explain some things, right? And you can kind of see it in his confusion here. As you read it, he's... He doesn't trust his senses. He doesn't trust the instinct that he knows it's Jacob's voice. And it, it kind of reminds me of when I've interacted with people with dementia and they, they kind of slip in and out of, uh, of understanding of who you are sometimes. And they forget, wait, who are you again? And then it clicks in, oh yeah, and, and, and you begin talking with them. There's almost a, a feel of that, a sense of that in this. And that could explain a few things, like why the Lord didn't have a harsh rebuke for Isaac for deliberately going against the covenant and conspiring to go against the covenant. It could explain why Rebecca and Jacob perhaps felt like they couldn't reason with Isaac. Maybe they thought this would be the most respectful, loving thing to do rather than try and talk him through it if he's slipping a bit mentally. Again, just speculation, but I think it's worth, worth mentioning, worth thinking about. But regardless whether that's true or not, Isaac is reluctant, but he ends up buying into Jacob's deception. Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So they covered all the other four senses. Like he couldn't see, he couldn't see they didn't have to worry about that, but they had to worry about hearing was the big one. That almost cost him everything. But he could, he could smell him. He could feel him. Good thing he didn't try to taste him. That would have been weird. Um, And he buys it. And so he blesses Jacob. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field. And 
I don't know what that means. Is it like the dirt? Is it like the grass? Is it like a field of onions? You know what I mean? That pungent smell of Esau. I don't know. You can let your imagination run wild. He smelled like a field. He's like, oh, it's my son that the Lord has blessed. Verse 28, May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And there it is. That's the Abrahamic covenant right there. That's what God said to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And here Isaac is intending to pass it to Esau deliberately. But Jacob receives it instead. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from hunting. So it's like those uh, old sitcoms where someone would walk out of the room and someone would walk right back into the room so the plot's like just rolling. That's how it is the curtain closes and Esau walks right in. Man, It was a close call. And you could probably bet Jacob was sweating like, man, if Esau walked in right now, this would be a disaster, right? It would be like an intense moment. So he barely slips out and Esau comes in. Verse 31, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. He's like, I'm full. Get that meat away from me. And he says, And I have blessed him. And yes, he shall be blessed. So Isaac is freaking out. He's like, I proclaimed this prophecy. I blessed him. And he is going to be blessed for sure. Isaac trembles. You would think if it was just mere words, he could have laughed. That was probably Jacob, that trickster. We got to watch that guy, right? You know, he could have just written it off and been like, come here, son, I'm going to bless you. I'll I'll give you the blessing. And I'll just repeat the blessing. I'm going to do it with a little more oomph this time. He, He doesn't do that. He can't do that because he knows the blessing that poured out of his mouth came from God and there was no taking it back. And that is the significance, guys, of this sacred moment. As you watch these moments take place through the lineage of the chosen of the chosen men of God, just as Balaam's declaration over the nation of Israel was bigger than Balaam's agenda, so too this blessing was bigger than Isaac's agenda, and Isaac knows it. Isaac knows he's figured it out right now. He's like, "Whoa, the Lord got me. Jacob got me." Rebecca got me. Yeah, I, was, I think I was wrong. This was more than an encouragement. This was God's word spoken, and it was spoken over Jacob as it was supposed to be. Verse 34, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightfully named Jacob or Surplanter? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. 
Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Which is kind of messed up if you think about it, because he was planning, I mean, he was planning the tables to be the other way, right? Like he was planning on Jacob, like getting nothing. I gave him everything. It was what I wanted to give to you, but uh, there's nothing left for you, man. Sorry. Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So like it's a big deal to Esau. Obviously a bigger deal than his birthright. I don't care about that thing. I'm, I'm starving, right? And it it can seem like Esau really respected this blessing, really valued it. Like maybe he understood the spiritual importance and that that mean old Jacob just ripped him off. But the book of Hebrews really tells us otherwise, explains how Esau was just a carnal man. It says that as he wept here, he was seeking repentance. And and, and in the book of Hebrews, it said he found no room for repentance. Why? Because he wasn't truly seeking God in faith. It, what, this wasn't about the spiritual aspects of the covenant and of the promise and of the birthright. This was about what Esau could get for Esau. This is about how Esau's life could be made better with the blessing of Isaac and the approval of Isaac. It had nothing to do with God's covenant and faith and salvation and leading the family spiritually. Verse 39, Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold away, from, uh, sorry, behold, away from the fatness of the earth you shall dwell, away from the dew of the heavens on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother. He's pursuing so hard his own agenda, his own will. What's best for Esau? And someone gets in the way. And he just wants to kill him. Does it remind you of somebody else we've already read about in the Scriptures? There's a common parallel here, guys, in the Scriptures, and it started with Cain and Abel. And it goes throughout history. And that is the sons of the flesh have constantly persecuted and despised the sons of promise. The people who have faith and true peace and joy and contentment in the Lord are often hated and despised by the people of the flesh who strive and chase after good things but never seem to catch what it is they want to catch because they're looking for it in the wrong places. Saul and David are an example Saul was chosen by God at first, but he went down the wrong path and became this fleshly man to which God was like, you're not going to be my king anymore. And so Saul persecuted the promised king, David. For years, David had to run away. The Israelites, in their rebellion and in their flesh, were constantly persecuting the prophets, the sons of promise, the ones who were connected to God and seeking God's will. Murdered, killed by their own people. The religious Jews were the first to persecute physically the early church. 
it wasn't necessarily the Romans. The Jews were the first to really start doing that. The, 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 Pharise- the Pharisaic Jews, right? Obviously, a lot of the Jews received Christ as well, but it's the, the, the people of the flesh chasing God after the flesh by their own merit, despising the fact that these people over here are, God is pouring out blessings of the Holy Spirit upon their life. There's joy and contentment in relationship with God, with these people. And these people strive for it and strive for it and they don't get it because it's by grace through faith. It's not by the flesh. It's not by merit. It's not by strife like Esau thought it was. Those who feel entitled, guys, to God's blessings because of their own merit will always resent those who receive the Holy Spirit simply through grace. They will. And in fact, it's a sign of a legalistic church. There's a lot of legalistic movements in the church. Pastor Robert talked a little bit about one of them on Wednesday. But one of the signs of a legalistic church is there's a lot of resentment from the pulpit. I mean, they, they, they view themselves elite because they do these things that all those other wannabe Christians don't do. Or they have this doctrine over here that, man, if you only understood like I understand and and you poor, you know, maybe you're not even saved because you don't think like I think or in this doctrine like I think. Non-essentials. There's resentment from their pulpits oftentimes because God continues to bless the people of faith. He continues to bless people by faith because of His grace, not because of merit, not because of works of the flesh. Verse 42, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So Rebekah is like in the know. She's probably got her like maidservants like, you know, listening in on all these conversations. She's all listening in on the Isaac. Like she stays in the know, this, this lady. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, like who Esau had married, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebecca was a very dramatic, like she had a flair for the very dramatic emotional um, expression. And remember when, when the babies were going crazy in her room, she's like, why am I even alive? What is happening? You know, and here she is like, oh, these Hittite daughter-in-laws are driving me. Just kill me, God. Just take me now. It's basically what she's saying, right? I loathe my life. If Jacob, if I have to deal with one more Hittite daughter-in-law, I don't want to live is basically what she's saying. She's like, Jacob, Oh, oh, Esau wants to kill him. Okay, I can use this to my advantage. She's kind of a, she's a little bit of a trickster, isn't she? She's like, look, your, your brother wants to kill you. And so it's the perfect opportunity for you to go to Laban, who has plenty of pretty daughters, I bet. You know, don't come home without one, right? That's kind of, you can maybe see her working her agenda. So this account, it really continues into chapter 28. So let's go ahead and read the first nine verses, uh, and we'll close this, out this message. It says, verse 1, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. 
It didn't say he smacked him first, by the way. Notice that. You must not take a wife, he says, from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brothers, or your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you. Here he goes into a blessing. God Almighty bless you. Make you fruitful and multiply you. Oh, this is starting to sound good, right? It's starting to sound uh, familiar. That you may become a, a company of peoples. Verse 4, may he give you the blessing of Abraham. There it is. To you and to your offspring with you. That you may, be, uh, may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau, or Hebrews chapter 11 says in the hall of faith about Isaac that he, by faith he blessed Jacob. And we read chapter 27, we're like, that didn't seem like that was by faith. It seemed like God had to really twist his arm to make that happen. But it's here that we see Isaac finally get on the same page. And he, he willfully and lovingly blesses Jacob, receiving God's will. He's shifted his expectations, and he's now willing, and he's found contentment in giving Jacob the blessing. He says, look, son, come here. You are the one that's supposed to receive the blessing of Abraham. Chapter 27 was a mess, guys. It, this family, a lot of, they need a lot of counseling, these guys. But God used it to get the family in line with His will. Things seem healthy between Isaac and Rebekah here, don't they? They're talking. They're communicating. It's, it's like typical husband-wife conversation. And, and Isaac's like, okay, yeah, I'll take care of it, sweetie. I'll, do, I'll deal with it. It seems like things are healthy right now. Isaac as well, with, his, with regards to Jacob, it seems like it's healthy. It's in a good place now. And God just continues to line things up for Jacob as He sends him away to meet his wife. And just understand, guys, this will be the last time Rebecca sees her son. And her last request that she, he would find a godly wife, God allows it to come to pass. That's like, that was her last prayer and desire for her son. And, it, and God honored that. And I love that about, about Rebecca's relationship with the Lord. Verse 6, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau saw that the Canaanite women didn't please Isaac, his father. So Esau went to Ishmael. So Esau's watching Jacob's relationship. Like, oh, oh, I didn't realize they didn't like the Hittite women. Maybe you should have took a hint a little earlier on in life when God had said, don't, don't marry these women, right? Um, and he's learning from Jacob. Now he's trying to emulate Jacob in the flesh still. Esau went to Ishmael, took a wife, uh, besides the wives that he already had, uh, of the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Now we'll pick up the rest of the story next week, but a lot of people assume at this point, because Jacob leaves for like 20-some years, they assume Esau actually inherited the blessing. Or rather, not the blessing, but the inheritance from, from Isaac, his riches. However, if, if we read on, and we'll see as we read on, Jacob, as he comes back some 20 years later, Isaac is still alive. 
Therefore, Isaac had not passed his riches, his inheritance, onto Esau yet. And as Isaac dies, we'll learn that just as it was prophesied over him, he ends up leaving, he ends up leaving Jacob because there's not enough room in their country. Esau is prospered by his own efforts. And he takes his stuff and he goes to another country and he leaves the whole promised land to Jacob. Jacob inherits it all. So the blessings really do come true and are fulfilled in the life of Jacob. Now in closing, guys, I just want to look at three things that we can learn about our salvation. Number one, guys, Esau believed, again, he was entitled to the blessing because he was firstborn. That was his big thing. But he thought he merited the blessing of God. And, and someone may be born in a certain position, similar to the Jews, right? They were the sons of Abraham. And they thought that position merited them to be, uh, to be saved, but it doesn't. Someone might be born in position. They might be good at keeping certain rules. They might even go to that certain church that claims to be the only true church, right? But none of these things, guys, will give you salvation. None of these works can earn your way into heaven. It's only by faith in Christ that you can be saved. The second thing we see in Esau is that he chased after his dad's approval to get what he wanted. He was obsessed with pleasing dad to gain what he wanted, and he completely disregarded the approval of God. He lived for the praise of man rather than the praise of God. And just as it was God who ultimately granted the blessing it's also God who grants salvation, guys. It's the Lord. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The Bible says that there is only one name given under heaven by which we can be saved. The name of Jesus. So guys, think about this. The next time that you're tempted to jump through hoops or impress someone else for a spiritual reason, maybe, maybe your pastor Maybe it's a, just a friend of yours you're trying to impress. Maybe it's someone who's like legalistic putting a trip on you or a, a legalistic church. Understand, remind yourself that they are not your Savior. Their approval does not equate to God's approval. Okay? They will not be your judge when you die. God will be your judge. So who should you go to then when you start feeling convicted and condemned? Don't start jumping through hoops for man. You go to Jesus. You go to your mediator. He, it's, it's His favor that you should be after. You should be living to obey Christ. You should fear Christ, not man. Amen? And then lastly, Esau didn't care about the spiritual significance of the blessing. Right? He was only concerned... For for the worldly benefits that he could receive from these things. And guys, this is so many people. This is their story as they come to Christ. So many people come to Jesus for what they can get out of it. They want God, man, my, my friend is sick and dying. My marriage is falling apart. I'm, I'm going to lose my job. And these difficult circumstances drive people to Jesus, but they really just want their circumstances changed. They're missing the bigger picture about Christ. Jesus did not come to just fix your problems here and now. Jesus did not come to give you good health or make you rich. That's not the mission of Jesus Christ. He came to give you eternal life. He came to do a spiritual work in you. To, to quicken to life your, your dead spirit. And that is what He's concerned with. His chief concern is your eternal station. 
your eternal position and condition. That is what Jesus most cares about. And if that means stripping you of every earthly blessing, He loves you enough to do it. So as we come back to expectations, Esau's expectations were false as well. And sadly, Isaac fed into Esau's false expectations for God. That it was all about what he could get out of, out of a relationship with God. It's not. Your greatest blessing in life is whatever God intends for you. Not what you hope for or expect. Not what the American dream tells you to chase after. Esau would be the perfect example for the, the professing Christian who just chases the American dream. That is an Esau. Spiritually dead inside. No concern for eternal life and eternal salvation. But this is what God desires for you. And so guys, if you desire eternal salvation, if this is something that you truly want, willing to sacrifice, you you need to reach the point where you're willing to lay down your earthly blessings to receive what God has for you. If you desire the spiritual work to be done in you, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Surrender all your expectations to Jesus. And let me tell you, it's liberating. When you finally reach that point where you put Jesus first, And you realize, man, whatever he wants for me is going to be what's best. It frees you from all these earthly desires that enslave you. The sad thing about Esau was he was enslaved to his desires. He was enslaved. He thought he was free, chasing after what he wanted, but he was in bondage to the things that he wanted. They had him more than he had them. And I want to tell you, as you come to Jesus, don't come to him by way of taking up your own life. Don't be one of these people who are like, self-help Jesus, you're a self-help person, self-made man. That's not the way of faith. So don't take up Jesus as a way of taking your life into your own hands. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to save your life, then you must lose it. You must lay it down for the sake of the gospel. So come to Him by way of laying your life down so that He can use it for His glory. That doesn't necessarily mean He wants horrible things for you. He wants good things for you. You can trust Him with your desires. But we need to be open-handed. We need to open our expectations up and allow Jesus to do what it is He wants us to do. That's what it looks like to come to Christ, to lay everything at His feet. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray. And Father, we recognize the tendency of distrust towards You, Lord God, that we deal with. Lord, those of us who have experience that moment, those moments where we really do trust You. We, do, we really do come to an understanding that what You want is best for us. And we find that freedom in Christ. Lord, we also confess we slip out of those understandings. Lord, we, as, as a living sacrifice upon the altar, we're so quick to, qual- to crawl off the altar. We're so quick to replace Jesus again on the throne of our hearts with something else, with something new. God, forgive us. We want to return to You tonight. We want to put our trust, our faith in You, Lord God. Lord, the shattered dreams, the the things that we hope for in our future, all of these things, we want to lay them at Your feet, understanding that You know what's best. So God, we pray for the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and minds, to give us Your understanding, to give us Your eyes, to see as You see, Lord God, that we would be able to trust You with life's ups and downs, that we would be able to trust You with blessing 
in difficulty, with feast, with famine, God, that we would understand, Lord, all of it is from You. And if it is from You, then it is good, and we can receive it with thanks and with praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.